You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Tell you what, the uh, the music on that bumper vid right there will kind of kind of do it to you, won't it? A little, a little dark there, if I may. Man, it is really good to see you guys. If you're a guest with us, my name is uh, Michael Bailey. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a pleasure to get to be with you guys this morning. Uh, glad to get to open up God's Word with you as we kind of get into this new series uh, on the season of Lent together, as we join in what God is doing through through the season with one another. Uh, if you uh, have a Bible or if you just want to pull it up on your phone, whatever, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Uh, there's some Bibles located underneath your seats if you want to grab one of those. Uh, if you don't have one at all, we just want you to know that, that is our gift to you. Uh, I want you to take that with you if you don't even have one at your house. What I'm going to do is do a little bit of setup work for us as we get into things, uh, and then we'll dive into that text together. So if uh, if you were around back in January, you probably remember that we did a couple of sermons around the idea of following Jesus together, where we mapped out a part of our vision as a church, that we wanted to be a people who were disciples of Jesus, that this was our aim, that as Christians, one of our primary identities is that of a disciple of Jesus. And what that meant for us is that we wanted to be a people who were striving to be with Jesus, uh, to become like Jesus, and to do the things that Jesus does. And so uh, what we did was we introduced during, this, uh, during these couple of weeks a bunch of spiritual practices that we just wanted to start engaging in, to be a people who took our spiritual development and spiritual formation seriously. And so we kind of gave you some resources of just like, hey, here are some options you have of engaging in spiritual practices to grow your faith and your following of Jesus together. We got a note recently that I found particularly encouraging out of this series, and so I just wanted to read it for you this morning. Uh, It's from from a lady, and she said, Hello, teaching team, which is our team of folks who oversee our teaching and equipping for, for our family of churches. But she says, Hello, teaching team. Thank you for the new Following Jesus Together three-week plans. Uh, I, along with two others in my life group, chose discontentment for my first plunge. And the practice of the exam in prayer really connected me with an exercise that my late husband and I used to do. Before we went to sleep, he would remind us to recall the winds of the day before we prayed and closed out the day. And I have missed that practice. It was a healthy one for me especially. And so thank you for helping me reconnect to this by introducing me to the spiritual practice of the exam in prayer. Today I downloaded and started my my second three-week study on apathy. Thank you for your work to make this resource available to our church family. You lead us well. Uh, and I am, I am really grateful for that note. Not, not just because she said we lead you well, which I am very grateful for. I'll, I'll take the compliment all day long. But I am really grateful for this because following Jesus together is not just the vision of our church. It is not just the midtown vision to be disciples of Jesus, but this has actually been the vision of the church, what it's been called to do since it was incepted some 2,000 years ago. This is what it means to be a Christian, to trust Jesus and to follow him with our lives, to be becoming a people who reflect to the world how great and awesome and gracious Jesus is. And what we've said over and over and over again, you can't be around here for hardly any amount of time without hearing this, is that discipleship to Jesus is not something that comes naturally or easily. It is something that actually does require some some amount of intentionality from us, where we consciously choose daily, moment by moment, in our decisions and our habits to follow Jesus with our lives. 
But we choose daily to be with him, to become like him, and to do the things that he does. And we said that this is a process known as spiritual formation, where the things we do, do things to us. And when we look at church history, not only do we see this pattern of practicing the way of Jesus on an individual level through individual practices, but we actually see followers of Jesus doing, doing things together collectively during special times of, ye- of the year, times when the church community hones in on being formed together, dedicating themselves to specific teachings and practices that we might grow as disciples alongside one another as a community. So one of the, um, we went through a season like this a couple of months ago leading up to Christmas. It was a season called Advent. You may be familiar where we focused in on reading the Bible together as a people in preparation for Christmas. This is something that Christians have done for hundreds of years. Uh, Another one of those special times historically is a season called Lent or the 40 days leading up to our celebration of Easter. And so this year, what we decided to do is we decided to join in with the millions of other Christians around the globe for the next 35 days since Lent actually started last, uh, this past Wednesday, to hone in on our discipleship to Jesus together. Specifically during this season, we're going to be focusing on doing this through the spiritual practice of fasting. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What I wanted to do with our time this morning is just set us up for the practice that we will all be engaging in collectively as Jesus' disciples, his church. If you're unfamiliar with the idea of practicing, uh, of fasting, let me give you a definition of what this practice is. Fasting is the practice of refraining from something, usually food, but it can be anything. The practice of refraining from something to focus on something else. Refraining from something for spiritual purposes. Now, depending on your background... This idea of the spiritual practice of fasting might sound somewhat foreign to you. Like you may be sitting here thinking, isn't, isn't fasting just that like hip new health trend that people on my social media feed are pushing? Like, isn't, isn't that what we're talking about here? And biblically speaking, kind of, but not really. There's, there's some similar crossover here. But, but since fasting can feel rather foreign to us, admittedly, uh, I wanted to start our season of Lent not just by talking about what it is, but why it's actually important and good for us as followers of Jesus to do it. So here's where we're going to start. We're going to start with some preliminary work and see what Jesus has to say about the practice of fasting. So let's pick up in Matthew chapter 6. We'll start in verse 1 and we'll work our way through basically the first 18 verses. This is the first time that Jesus teaches about fasting and it's right smack dab in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount where he is unpacking what life as his disciple and what life in his kingdom will look like. Here's what he says. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that, you may, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. Jumping down to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret 
will reward you. All right. So in Matthew chapter 6, what Jesus does is he brings up this triad of spiritual practices. In verse 2, he talks about generosity when you give to the needy. In verse 5, he speaks of prayer when you pray. In verse 16, he speaks of fasting when you fast. And this this trio of prayer and giving to the needy uh, and fasting were essentially considered the big three spiritual practices of Jesus' day. And the first thing that jumps out to us from this text is the warning that Jesus gives us. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. He warns against doing the things that give the appearance of sincere discipleship strictly in order to be seen by others and thought well of by them. He comes right out of the corner swinging against the way that we have seen spiritual practices and disciplines abused throughout our time. People using them to make themselves holier thou and set them up as superior to other people. And Jesus, will say, and Jesus says here, if you just pray and give and fast to look good for others, you're a hypocrite. That's what you are. If you just do these things so that people think well of you, you are just a hypocrite. What is, and hypocrite, it's actually just a Greek word for actor. He's saying, if you just do this stuff, not because you're sincere about following me, but so that you look the part for others, you're actually just an actor or a pretender. That's all you really are. Now, to be quite honest... When I read this text, I usually just stop here, okay? I usually just go, well, Jesus said don't be a hypocrite, and I don't want to just do things to look good, so that's why I'm not going to fast. Problem solved. Could somebody please pass the cake? That would be great. Thank you. Appreciate that, right? Like, I just sort of end there. But that that would actually be a little bit of a misleading way to read what Jesus is saying here, all right? Jesus is not saying don't do these things to be seen by others, so don't do them at all, right? He's saying, don't do these things to be seen by others. Rather, do them to be seen by God. Do them, but do them rightly. And that's an important insight when it comes to fasting. Because what we learn from this text is that Jesus assumes that those who follow him will also fast. He assumes his disciples will fast. He assumes that if you're one of his people, fasting will actually be a part of your life. He puts it in the same combo as prayer and giving, essential practices for his people. He assumes that fasting is a part of the way that our spiritual lives are going to take shape. Now, if I can be honest without assuming too much about you, okay? Whereas Jesus, it seems, assumes we will fast, I kind of assume we don't, right? And I base that, <laughs> I base that primarily off of the audible groan that you all expressed when we announced that we were going to be fasting a couple of weeks ago, okay? Like, again, maybe I'm assuming too much. Maybe I'm wrong about you. And I would certainly trust Jesus' assumptions about you over my own assumptions about you. But in general, I think, especially here in the West and here in our context, fasting is something of a forgotten spiritual discipline among Christians. Maybe a few of us do it. But I would be willing to bet the majority of us don't at all. So I think a lot of that actually comes because I think fasting as a whole can just feel really confusing, especially in our society or especially in a context like, our, like ours. So like, I don't know about you, but my first response is often something like, what do you mean refrain from something in my life? Like, what do you mean to say no to something that I need or I want or is good for me, like food. What do you mean to abstain from that? That just seems silly 
and unreasonable. This is a good thing. Why would I do that with my life? And I think part of this comes from the fact that we live in what I would call a yes culture or a yes society. And what I mean by that is, in general, we don't have much of a habit of telling ourselves no. Just in in practical life, we don't have much of a habit of saying no to ourselves, especially when it comes to things that we want or things that we feel like we need. And if you don't believe me, just go to Target, okay? Just go to Target. Like, I guarantee you will walk out of there with something you did not intend to purchase when you went in. Maybe that's just my family, but it absolutely amazes me how we'll walk in and walk out with something that we quote-unquote need that we didn't realize we needed until we got there, right? It's just, it's just what happens. And that's small and silly, but the evidence of this is actually everywhere. Like, Amazon made their living off of this. Like, why, excuse me, why wait for what you want? Or why even leave your house to get it? Get Prime, and it can actually be there the same day, to max. We even use words like consume and binge to describe how we intake our entertainment, how we absorb our television and movies. We're all about maximizing the moment and immediate gratification. And the truth is, is that if this is my perspective on life, if this is the water that I am swimming in, then fasting really doesn't make much sense. If I'm all about saying yes to myself about what I want, when I want it, then fasting seems out of place. At best, it feels like an odd exercise in masochism, right? It feels like, why would we subject ourselves to that kind of pain? But let me put, put this out here for you. What if by saying yes in the moment, we are actually saying no to something better long term? What if that were actually true? That by being so disciplined to say yes to everything in the moment, we are actually saying no to something much better for us in the future. You see, what I find really interesting about Matthew 6 or about what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6 is with each of these three practices, Jesus actually connects them to reward. He says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. He seems to be saying that our view of reality And what we get out of what we decide to do is too short-sighted. He's saying that there is something to be gained, that God has something greater than earthly comfort or status for us in and through these vehicles, including the vehicle of fasting. And what I believe is that when we understand what God intends to give us through fasting, not only does it make more sense, but we might actually find ourselves a bit more eager to do it. And so what I want to do is I want to help us see the goodness and value of fasting. I want to help you see the very things that God intends to bring into your life through this, through this practice. And the list I'm about to give you, it's not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think you'll find it a compelling one. So let's flip back a few pages over to Matthew chapter 4. Should be like one page to your left. In Matthew 4, we get a little glimpse of an important moment in Jesus' life and the role that fasting itself actually played in it. Let's look at verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, as he would be after going without food for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, this this is a rather famous account at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, okay? The Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness to go without food for 40 days and to be tempted by the devil. 
Which, I don't know about you, but when I first read this, this always seemed kind of pretty messed up to me, if I can just be honest, right? I mean, how mean does the Spirit come across here, you know? I mean, it's like, okay, Jesus, first of all, we're going to go out into the wilderness, and no, this will not be a glamping situation. Second, and oh yeah, this is kind of a big deal, you're going to be tempted by the devil, all right? Uh, And by the way, I'm going to need you to go without food for uh, about 40 days. So if all that sounds good to you, uh, see out there about six. It's just kind of mean. Like, it's just, uh, it just seems a little jacked up. Uh, But what happens is when we read this, what many of us just kind of default assume is we read this account of Jesus going without food and the Spirit leading him into all of this. And we assume that what this must mean is that when the devil comes to him, that Jesus is in a really weak position. That in this moment, when Jesus comes to tempt him, he, Jesus is at his weakest point, and he's only able to get through it because he's God. But that's not actually what's going on here. It's not actually what's happening. Notice that when the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the uh, excuse me to be tempted by the devil, being tempted by the devil is already a foregone conclusion. It's after knowing that the temptation is coming that Jesus apparently decides to engage in this incredibly long fast. For Jesus here, it doesn't seem like fasting was done in order to make him weak, but actually the opposite, that Jesus engaged in this fast to make him strong. It seems that fasting was the very thing that Jesus did to prepare him to endure the devil's attack. And this is important regarding fasting. Fasting is not about making you weak, but making you strong. One of the reasons why we fast is to strengthen our resolve. Because fasting strengthens us. Jesus in this account is actually modeling for us what it looks like to tap into the power of the Spirit. In fact, in the, excuse me, in the conclusion of Luke's account of this event, Luke even records in, verse, in chapter 4 verse 14 that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. That what all of this did for Jesus was basically give, it was like a spiritual power-up for him. That fasting served as something of a spiritual power-up. And at the risk of sounding just a bit bit irreverent, it's a little bit like back in the old Mario video games when you would hit the block and get the mushroom and then you da-da-da-da-da, you know, you grow twice your size and be able to crush Koopas and all that kind of thing. Again, at the risk of sounding a little irreverent, like in in a weird way, it's kind of like, it's, It's kind of like that's what fasting through the Spirit did for Jesus. It was a power-up to enable us to fight more than we ever could had we not actually fasted. That the Spirit uses this discipline to make us stronger than we would have been on our own. In his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, uh, theologian and author Dallas Willard, who is a really monumental voice when it comes to spiritual formation in the church, he put it this way. He said, persons well used to fasting as a systematic practice will have a clear and constant sense of their resources in God. And that will help them endure deprivation of all kinds, even to the point of coping with them easily and cheerfully. Fasting teaches temperance or self-control and therefore teaches moderation and restraint with regard to all of our fundamental drives. In some respects, it's like the will of the Spirit is a muscle, very much like the rest of our muscles in our body. And the more it's exercised, the stronger it gets. And fasting, through the Spirit's help, 
essentially gives our willpower muscle a workout that not only builds its strength towards the things we consume, but in all areas of life. Later on, Willard again says that it was, it was an important day in my life when at last I understood that if Jesus needed 40 days in the wilderness at one point, I very likely could use three or four. I just think that's great. And it's true for us as well. The point is, is the example of Jesus shows us that fasting is a God-ordained means to train our bodies and our souls in restraint, empowering us by the Spirit to say no when saying no is absolutely essential but would normally feel unattainable, such as in the face of sinful temptation or addiction or as in Jesus' case, in the face of the devil himself. When we face down our appetite for food, or you could say our temptation to eat, the, this hunger stands in for all our other gnawing temptations. In overcoming what seems like an insatiable desire to eat, we come to realize that other desire, desires that seemingly demand it to be answered right now can in fact be denied as well. They can actually be said no to as well. And the reason I think this makes fasting incredibly compelling for us, especially in our society, is because our culture of yes really doesn't seem to work for us. In fact, it seems to make us really, really weak. Over time, it seems to only produce in us anxiety and discontentment and malaise and apathy and above all, addiction of all kinds Addiction to technology, addiction to sex and pornography, addiction to drugs and alcohol and TV and Reddit and Instagram and fill in the blank, addiction across the board. The list could go on and on. Our inability to say no to sexual desires has led us to a whole host of unfaithfulness and sexual addictions. Our inability to say no to personal comfort has, makes us irritable and impatient, if not outright lazy and apathetic, not just to the things of God, but to our jobs and our homes and our families. An inability to say no to entertainment has made us glued to screens at all hours of the day, incessantly checking social media and binge-watching our own shows at the expense of relationships and even sleep. What we think what we are doing is getting what we want, but we fail, fail to realize that what we're actually doing is making ourselves very weak. And fasting is a tool in the hands of God to break that cycle in us. If you feel like you can't say no to sexual sin, first start by saying no to food for a time to strengthen your say no to self muscles. If you feel like you're addicted to alcohol and tobacco and can't enjoy them in moderation, you can strengthen the neural pathways in your brain by abstaining from other things. If you feel like you run to other things for comfort or control, like food or social media or entertainment or whatever it may be, your resolve can be strengthened by, saying, by deliberately saying no to something else for a time. This is what fasting does. I saw this really beautifully in uh, a friend of mine's life uh, not too long ago. A buddy of mine uh, struggled with sexual addiction for years on end. He just could not say no, such, such that it was actually beginning to have a serious effect on his life where he would be sneaking off to look at porn at work or whatever, you know? I mean, it was having a big-time negative impact on who he was. And time and time again, he would come and he would just confess not just his sin, but also confess his powerlessness over it, just mourning with us that, man, I just feel like I cannot beat this thing. And in this spirit of brokenness and need for the Spirit's help, through the uh, encouragement from his Christian counselor, he began to fast a day here, 
and a day there at first, and then more regularly, devoting time that he would normally spend eating to instead pray and seek God's strength and help. And it wasn't an overnight fix, and it wasn't some magic pill that changed his sinful desires. No, the sinful desires still existed. But over the course of time, he started to show up to groups saying things like, man, you know what? I wanted to sneak off today, but something strange happened. I just chose not to. I just chose to say no. And one day of self-denial led to two days, which led to three days. And before he knew it, he had strung together weeks and months of sobriety that he had never experienced in his life before. And it was beautiful. The Spirit was using this practice to sanctify him, to change him, and to bring him more into the image of Jesus. It was beautiful. And this is the power of fasting in the hands of the Holy Spirit for you and I as well. But here's the thing. Fasting is not some substitute for faith or obedience, nor is it a way to manipulate God into doing what we want him to do for us. Rather, fasting is a full body response to God, a sign of our own desperation and a deep desire for complete repentance and hunger for him to step in and do the things that only he can do. And that is exactly what fasting actually brings to us. The second reason why we fast, the second thing that God gives to us in and through fasting is himself. Fasting gets us more of God, the very God that we need. It is, a, it is sobering to realize that the very first statement Jesus made about fasting in Matthew 6 deals with the question of motive. <laughs> to use good things to our own ends is always a sign of false religion. It is incredibly easy to try to take something like fasting and use it to manipulate God, but that would be entirely missing the point. While the Spirit, without question, absolutely uses fasting to strengthen and empower our spiritual vitality, the ultimate reason this happens is because fasting gives us more of God himself. And for followers of Jesus, fasting is forever centered on God and God alone. Dallas Willard again puts it like this. It says, fasting confirms our utter dependence upon God by finding in him a source of sustenance beyond food. That fasting becomes this reminder that your body gives you to teach you that you are not dependent on food alone, but on God. This is the precise argument that Jesus presents to the devil again in Matthew chapter 4. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. The devil knows that Jesus is hungry, and he tempts Jesus to turn stones to bread so that Jesus could feed himself. But look at how Jesus responds. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It always throws me off just a little bit when I read that, because I can't help but think, uh, yes, but you have to eat food, right? But Jesus is saying, more than you need sustenance and dependency upon food, you need sustenance and dependency on God. As vital and as necessary as food is for the body, Jesus says, God is more so for you. That's why in the Bible we see fasting almost always accompanied with prayer because prayer is one of the major practices that we engage in to demonstrate our dependence upon God. It's coming to him saying, God, I need you in these areas. I need you to move. I need you to work. I need your response. And when we fast, we're reminded that more than, any, more than we need food, we need the presence and power of God in our lives. We need him to sustain us. 
This is why Willard and others say that fasting is really feasting. It's feasting on God. And I just love that imagery, that this is what is actually taking place when we fast. When we say no to food or other things, we're not simply depriving ourselves of something, but instead we are aiming to give ourselves something better, something, in fact, that our souls need more than this other temporary thing. We are saying and learning through our bodies that, God, you are the one that my soul was made for. You are the one that I am meant for. You are the one where true joy is found. You are the one who will truly satisfy the deepest longings of my soul. And I am prone to believe that that is not true. I am prone to believe that I need a thousand other things to make me okay. But all of that is not true. Ultimately, you are the one that I need to be okay. Fasting reminds our soul that it is in fact true that our hearts will be restless until they find their rest in him. Or maybe a better way to say it is that our stomachs will be hungry until they find their hunger in him, or their fullness in him, fullness in him. Through the pain of hunger and deprivation, we are being reminded moment by moment of Christ's sufferings for us to make us whole. Through the unfulfilled longing, our souls get pointed to the one who truly satisfies, the one in whom all the promises of God will ultimately be fulfilled. Through the discomfort and the lack, I'm reminded of the comfort and abundance to come with Christ forever, who will wipe away every tear, who will swallow up death and pain and sin forever. The pains of a fast remind me of these realities. This is why Jesus directs us to not appear distressed and sad when we fast. He isn't telling us to do that so that we mislead those around us. That would just be another form of acting. It'd be another form of hypocrisy. Instead, he's inviting us to discover that life is so much more than meat and drink. That our appetites are not our God, but God is God. And as the psalmist says, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's an invitation to step into these truest realities of our existence. And this is why fasting is so closely linked in the Bible to penitence for sin and solidarity with the poor and hurting because in many respects, fasting activates our love. It activates our love for God and our love for others. It becomes one of the ways that we find the kingdom of God present and active in our lives and in the world around us. Practically speaking, what I mean here is that the pains you experience when you fast become the very thing that drive you to the feet of Jesus in prayer. So if you have a friend or a spouse who you care for and you want to see Jesus move in your life, your discomfort during your fast becomes a prompt to pray that God would address the discomfort in their own souls towards him. If you or someone you know is experiencing financial trouble and it feels like things are crashing down around you or them, your fast reminds you that God will be enough and God provides. And it drives you to him to beg him for these things, for them or for yourself. If your life group just feels apathetic to pursue one another or pursue Jesus or pursue others to bring them into God's family, you bring that to God in the pain of your fast to shake you away from that apathy. It activates these things within you. It activates our love, and it's even a weapon to catalyze our prayers. It drives us to God, and God readily gives us himself. He responds, and he moves, and he acts. This is why virtually every time there is revival or a fresh breaking out of the spirit, Spirit's activity in our world, it's usually always preceded by prayer and fasting by the church on some level. Always. Every time. Because this is what God does through this vehicle. But that's not all. 
Fasting also reveals who we really are. And this is the third thing for why we fast. It's to reveal to us who we really are. Richard Foster, who wrote a book called The Celebration of Discipline, which for years was one of the most influential books on Christian spiritual formation uh, for the church, he put it really, really bluntly. He said, more than any other single discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. While fasting does indeed strengthen us in areas we are weak, fasting also exposes us to them. In Psalm 69.10, David confesses as much. He says, when I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. He's saying fasting humbled him. It made him, it exposed him to his weakness. It made him aware of where he was off. And the truth is, is that when we engage in this practice, it's going to do the exact same thing for us as well. Like, have you ever noticed what happens to you when you miss a meal? Have you ever noticed? Like, when a little bit of hunger sets in, like, I don't know about you, but I'll tell you what happens to me. Hangry. Hangry is what happens to me when I, when I miss a meal, right? I become irritable, impatient, easily overwhelmed, and a very, very annoyed human being. Basically, I'm a walking Snickers commercial. That's who I am. And while, of course, it's true that the human body needs food to operate, and at a certain point, it's going to shut down, that's not what happens when I'm missing lunch, right? Like, we're not to that extreme yet. What's going on when I miss lunch, it's I've missed lunch today, and all of a sudden, I feel like I've lost my grip on reality. I've lost control or comfort, and it bothers me down to my core. Now, everything bothers me because I've lost this control and comfort in this one area of my life. That says something about me, right? That exposes something about my soul. Believe it or not, hangry is as much a spiritual condition as a physical one. And fasting actually brings these things out to the forefront of our being. And it happens with more than just food. Take my kids, for example. If I get into the habit of putting them in front of the TV so I could perhaps you know, get a few moments of peace and quiet, you know, that, that might be fine for a while, right? That might be fine for a while. But you know what happens when that becomes the pattern? And then one day I say, hey, what? guess what, guys? We're not going to do any TV at all today. We're going to take a break. You know what happens? World War III. That's what happens. World War III. Screaming and crying in a deep conviction that their father might just be the worst thing to happen to the world since Hitler. It's a belief that they have. It's hanger, but it's hanger for TV. There are things going on beneath the surface in their soul that have been hiding, masked by the cover of television intake, if not even nurtured by it. And the break from TV brings it out. It shows me where they really are. It shows me what's really going on. And the truth is, is that fasting does the exact same thing for you and I as well. In some respects, fasting exposes us to the still crooked places of our souls. The spots yet to be touched by Jesus' sanctifying grace. The things that we believe we can't live without. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, pride, fear, and strife. If they are in us, they will surface during our fasts. Personally, I thought I was a pretty good dude until I fasted, just to be honest. But now I notice on days when I fast, I am much shorter with my kids my inner dialogue towards my friends and even my fellow pastors who are some of the closest people in the world to me, my inner dialogue towards those folks becomes really negative and annoyed. 
My fuse gets shorter, and all this ugly stuff that exists in me just rises to the surface of my mind. And you might be thinking, Bailey, you said at the beginning that this list was supposed to be compelling. (laughs) I'm going to be honest. If you're trying to convince me to fast and telling me it's going to reveal who I really am, that is the worst possible strategy you could employ, right? And look, I, I get that. I do. But hear me. For the believer in Jesus, for the one who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus, this is actually a really beautiful gift. It's a really beautiful gift to see who we are for who we really are. Fasting brings to our attention where we need God's grace and the transforming touch of his spirit. And it is grace and transformation that we can with confidence know that God will willingly supply. Fasting reveals who we truly are such that God's spirit might take us and make us into who we were meant to be. Fasting affords us an opportunity to repent where we need to repent. And if you're like, well, you know, I mean, my spiritual life seems pretty fine. Like, I don't, I don't really struggle with anything. I'm just kind of managing life. We're coasting. We're doing good. What I would say is cool. Try giving up some things that you use or that you do routinely. And let's just see what happens. Try fasting from food or your phone or your show or your car or your nightly wind-down routine, or whatever it may be, and let's just see what happens. See what bubbles to the surface. My bet is there are going to be a load of sinful behaviors or ways of thinking, alternative coping mechanisms, ways of handling stress, stress that you will be shocked by. Still crooked places in your soul that you need to bring to Jesus. But the good thing is that we need to recognize that that is an opportunity for us. That is God's gift to us, to lead us to repentance and faith and change. Because the promises of Joel 2 from our reading this week are as much for us as they were for the nation of Israel. I'll read it to you. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. The stuff that gets brought to the surface in our souls during our fast, God will forgive, and he will redeem. He has promised to do it if we would repent and come to him. And the truth is, is that really is our great reward. More grace, more Jesus, more of God's favor and change and healing. So, if you have not yet picked up one of our Lent guides, do so today. We've got some out in the lobby for you. There's only a few left. I hope most of us have already gotten them. But if you haven't picked one up, pick one up. They're going to guide us through all the fasts that we're going to be doing during this, uh, during this season together. One thing to note is that we're going to be fasting from a lot of things over the course of the next 35 days. Not just food. Things that actually have a bigger grip over our lives as modern 21st century Americans. We're going to be fasting from things like social media and TV and entertainment and even caffeine and alcohol. And none of that is to say that any of the stuff that we're going to be fasting from is inherently evil. 
We're just fasting from these things because we recognize we can way too easily use them as a means of chasing after control and comfort and distraction in our lives. And so we're going to break from them for a little while. Eventually, we are going to fast from food. But I want to make a note here because I know for many of us, we have a lot of complications when it comes to food. Many of us have a really strained relationship already with food, whether that's low blood sugar or dietary restrictions or you've been diagnosed or previously struggled with an eating disorder or anything in between. And I just want to say a quick word to you is that, listen, we love you and we understand where you're at. None of the fasting that we're going to be doing during this season, I want you to hear or receive as a you have to do this but instead a you get to. And God may have some very good things for you in the midst of it. And so if that's you, all I, want, all I want you to do as your first step as we approach this together is just to have an honest conversation with your life group about how you need to approach this season, all right? And to know with confidence that there's freedom and flexibility with it. For some of you, maybe you will need to do it and you will need to ask God to cleanse your motives, to sanctify your motives in the midst of it. For others of you, maybe you won't need to. Maybe you'll just need to not fast from food, food like the rest of us. But whatever you decide, I just want you to know, that's between you, the Lord, and your life group. But have the conversation. Approach it wisely. Talk to people who can give some insight and pray together and find out what the Lord would have you do. This week, we're going to start simply. We're going to start simply by fasting from background noise, all right? So rather than being a people who constantly have the TV going on in the background or music playing on the car ride into work so we can zone out, we're going to invite us to turn those things off and instead invite silence into our life to ask God in those moments to just be with us. We'd be a little bit more aware of his presence and focus our attention that we would have otherwise just kind of zoned out on to focus that attention on him. But here's ultimately our hope. That's where we're starting, and we're going to progressively build on it. But our hope is, is that as we fast together, we'll be made more like Jesus in the long run. Not just for these 40 days, though, but for the next 40 years. That if one of these weeks is particularly hard, the hope is, is that you might step back and say, man, I didn't realize how attached to this thing I had become and how this thing was actually running my life, and I didn't even know it. I'm going to need to reorient. I'm going to need to reorient around Jesus instead of this thing, whether it be TV or food or whatever. Or that you'll notice, man, when that screen went away, I lost all the ability to have conversations with another human being. Like, I, I just didn't even know what to talk about or what to do. Something has to change. True story, the last time we fasted from TV together as a church family a couple of years ago, one of the members in our church was really distraught that week and at one point even asked his wife, hey honey, uh, where do we keep the books? Where are those in our house? I just thought it was very, very hilarious that you wouldn't know where you keep your books in your house. But I mean, that's kind of how we've all become. And I, listen, I think that's good, man. I think that's really, really good. Like maybe you realize that you don't know what to do with yourself when you're not filling up your time and space with a bunch of mindless stuff. That not only do you struggle to be still or undistracted with other people, but perhaps it will reveal, excuse me, will reveal to you that you struggle to just even be alone with God. And these things will actually encourage you to put some intentional effort to grow there. Or maybe you'll just realize, like me, that you're a horrible person without caffeine. And we'll have to navigate that space together. We'll have to learn how to repent alongside one another. But for this season, that's what we're going to do. We're going to hone in together 
on our discipleship to Jesus. We're going to fast together to be strengthened by God, to be with God, to love God and others more fully, and to see the still unsanctified parts of our soul brought to Jesus. That's our aim. So for the next 35 days, let's say no to what's easy and yes to what's best. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for the gift of fasting. We really are grateful uh, that you have brought to us a practice that helps us get more of you. Uh, That the things in our life that feel unbeatable and overwhelming and like we are just too weak to handle them on our own, that your spirit wants to step in and assist us with. And fasting is a means to access that. And so we're really grateful for that. And I just pray, honestly, that for us in this season, that that would be really definitive. Uh, God, I would love to see you bring some healing and some hope and some restoration to these areas of our soul that we have felt defeated by for so long. You would bring some healing through this vehicle of fasting. I just want your spirit to do it and ask that you would. God, please use this season to remind us of your grace to us, uh, that you have made us right with you and now invite us into a life of abundance, that you are for our joy and every amount of spiritual practice that we engage in is really just to get more of you because that's where our joy is gonna be found. And so we thank you for the cross and the resurrection that makes that possible. We thank you that you have done all the heavy lifting for us when it comes to making us right with you. And now you invite us into the effort of living in that. So yeah, Father, please uh, please be with us and guide us during this. I know it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for a lot, if not all of us. And so we're going to need your spirit to supply the strength the entire way. And we're just asking that you would do it. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. 